Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an ABC podcast. There is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In for the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. Another week, there's still no football, but... This, this group of friends, we get together and we're going to talk about football adjacent things. My name is Tess Armstrong and I couldn't be happier to be out and about and hanging with my Sanctum sisters. I'll let them introduce themselves. Hello, it's Lucy Race. Hi, it's Julia Kiera. And it's Rana Hussain. Hello. Welcome back, you lot. How was your holiday weekend, Easter weekend? What did you get up to? It was a strange one, wasn't it? It was funny not to be leaving the house, but I guess we're getting used to that. Do you know what I learned over this little Easter holiday period? Mm. That there can be things that you really, really like, but when you put them together, it's not always a good idea. (laughs) This is courtesy of Felicity Race, who gave me some Hot cross bun flavoured M&M's. Oh, no. Now, I love hot cross buns. Mm -hmm. I love M&M's. You would think the combination would be great. (laughs) It was terrible. (laughs) They're awful. It was not good. Do we all agree that hot cross buns are just raisin toast but in bun form? Yes. Yeah. So you can have them all year round if you like, by the way. You can just get raisin toast. So what was wrong with the M&M situation? Just the flavour was it. They really tasted like hot cross buns, but just not in a good way. Mm, okay. No, because a hot cross bun, you want it to be chewy. You want the mm. butter. You want to toast it. You can't. You don't get that mm. in a cold crunch. No, put, that's not. Put M and M's in the toaster. Bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Julia? Well, look, I've been uh, returning to simpler times. I made pizza. I made pasta. We made pasta with a pasta machine I'd bought from the op shop. And then only halfway through the process did I realise why I'd found it in an op shop (laughs) (laughs) and that it didn't, the mechanism didn't turn. So we had some very thick tagliatelle for dinner. Look, just returning to my roots. What about you, Rana? Yeah, look, being Muslim, we don't do a whole lot of Easter, but I ate a lot of hot cross buns because I'm very much a big fan of hot cross buns. We had our hot water system stolen, so that was, while terrifying and annoying, also a little bit exciting. (laughs) (laughs) And I found myself really, like, annoyed that I didn't get to go to the police station. (laughs) It was Michael. Anyway, we're fine and it was fine and it will be fine, but um, that that was not a welcome addition to our weekend. But also I discovered that, you know, 
coronavirus. Do we know it? Yeah. <laughs> have you Tell heard of about it? it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've heard about this um, thing going around the world. Coronavirus, the word, is one word, right? And I've every time I read it, I've been saying coronavirus in my oh. head. <laughs> is that a dinosaur? It is, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I don't know. You know when you read a word and then you say mm. it differently than when you would out loud? Hermione. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, it's been quiet in the weekend for me. <laughs> wow, that is fantastic. Well, my weekend consisted of me being picked to be the MC of the Armstrong family lunch on Sunday. We Zoomed with a lot of the family, not all of the family, which I was relieved about because there's a lot of us and it was quite difficult to MC the whole Zoom meeting. There were silly hats, there was festivities. It was really <laughs> awesome and it actually made us feel so much better. And one of my beautiful cousins, Trudy, is a pastry chef. And during the whole Zoom thing, she was at work and she was making croissants. And I said out loud, this is really cruel because, of course, you know, I'm watching her make the croissants. She dropped two off to my house later Aww. on. So thank you, Trudy. It really made my weekend. It was like when um, in TV shows when things come out of, like, the fantasy world into the real world. It was fantastic. Now, Tess, emceeing that must have been more like umpiring, surely. Absolutely. It was trying to pull people into line. I was sneakily texting one of the other cousins who was hosting the meeting saying, can you please mute this person? Can you mute that person? <laughs> it's actually, I've been well-versed and practised in being a producer. That is what it is, right? Is thinking there's unnecessary noise here that I need to eliminate. And I was quite, I enjoyed it quite a lot. The power went to my head though. So I'm probably <laughs> unable to do it again because otherwise I think I'll go wrong. Felicity had a funny little suggestion for me that we could maybe talk about the, like a Brendan Bolton approach to this whole lockdown period. You know how he's always sort of positive and looks for <laughs> the silver linings in yes. everything? He's like, well, you know, I know it's a really hard time. There's a lot of, you know, hard stuff going on. But but what would you keep? Like, surely you can't throw everything out. That's nice. I thought that's I quite a good that. one. Mm. That what is I lovely. Keep? I'd keep the short commute, I won't <laughs> lie, and um, encouraging people to be in the office less when they don't need to be. I think that is an awesome way to go and why don't we do that more often mm. trusting people to do work when they're not at work because everybody works more hours yeah i would probably keep emails that would normally be a meeting that are now mm. just emails like i think we've Very found good. some efficiencies that should stay i would keep time <laughs> you know mm. i feel like i've got more time just to be at home and to just i'm really enjoying just having more time with my little family and I almost, look, this could be just me thinking I live in the Truman Show where I create everything, like everything revolves around me. Um, but where, when, you do. <laughs> when all this first started and everything started being cancelled, I was secretly relieved because my partner and our lives are very, very busy and we barely see each other. And so suddenly it was like, oh, I don't have to organise a babysitter for that night and all this kind of stuff. And But now I'm like, oh, maybe I made it happen. <laughs> I saw a great Twitter thread on that point the other day where it said, what did you do to make this happen? And everybody said, you know, I said I was relieved that things were cancelled. Someone else said they said that 2020 was going to be the best year ever. Like everybody thinks somehow they brought this on. I think I'd keep family dinners. Mm. And it's just been lovely not to have to work out who's going to be there and, you know, just being able to plan, but also having everybody there has been quite nice. And my dog will keep this. Oh, very happily. He loves mm. having everyone around. You know I'm deeply concerned that Bobby the puppy's going to have complex because we're home all the time in his early life and he's like, this is amazing. You, you know, just need like, to bring him to work. I will. I'll bring him in because he's beautiful and you'll love it. Do you know what I'd keep? 
I'd keep the Malay. Shall we roll up our sleeves and get to it? Absolutely. I wanted to kick off with just a beautiful article that I read during the week. And I know this is going to sound stereotypical, but it does have something to do with Richmond. But it's bigger than that, guys. (laughs) It's bigger than that. It was with Sydney Stack, who was a gift to football last year in his first year with the Tigers and in the competition. He sat down with Mark Robinson and talked about his life and his football story and how he managed you know to find his way playing at the top level one of the things he spoke about which we talked about on the pod last year was his dream time war dance and it was amazing to see and I remember thinking at that time this only happened because of Adam Goods this is a quote from this article this week I don't know how to say this I look at Adam Goods and what he did I watched Australian dream and just how strong-minded he is that motivates me we need more people like Adam Goods in the community in Australia and in the world I look at Eddie Betts and how many people he's touched he's my idol I look at Nikki Winmar and how he stood up if they can do it why can't I and I thought about that and um, tried to attribute it to my own life and how sometimes you can feel really uncomfortable in the moment where you have to stand up about something and that might be to your family or to your in your workplace and you know something's right. You might cop a hit and often we do cop a hit and Adam Goods copped an unforgivable hit but the trickle-down effect of what you can set up for the future people to achieve and younger people than you by just being vocal about stuff you believe in I think is amazing and also I was just so happy to read that and to see that come to fruition. It really does show what leadership is all about and while you're talking about that it makes me think of you know all all the times we've talked about how vulnerability is actually showing vulnerability is actually showing strength Mm. and I think that really illustrates it because he Sydney did something that made him vulnerable. It made him stand out from the rest of his team and it was on a big stage. But what he actually showed in that moment was strength. And I think the other thing about Stacky in that moment with the war cry is that he didn't come to a club being the only Indigenous player. Like there were other Indigenous players there who could have done that or who for their own personal reasons hadn't done that yet that was a step that no one else had taken yet and he decided to and in his first year and I actually had a chat with him about this um, in January at community camp and he was just saying that he knew exactly a kind of what was already in that article which is that he knew what that meant for him when Adam Goods stood up and so he just felt like that was him speaking his truth the bravery in that like I think people see Stacky as someone who just can't help but be himself and that's true but there is so much bravery in being the one who steps forward and and I think the other thing is that he's kind of demonstrates the power of bringing in people from the outer and and different types of people into some really um already very set structures and he's just brought a whole different perspective and we're, we're all better for it. You were speaking before about the bravery of doing that and I definitely feel that it is brave but also there's a part of me that feels like the easiest choice to be sometimes is to be yourself and that you have so many pressures to not, especially when you're part of a minority group that is oppressed finding your way to that decision of I am just going to be myself. And I think he says in the article that it felt very natural to him to do that war cry and that there is, you find such peace in that. I'm going to fall through the funnel and get rid of all the other pressures of external society of what what is expected of me and just be me and bring that. And that people relate to that. They see that beauty. They see the grace mm. in, in that. And that's what we connect with. 
we connect with that authenticity. And another thing I noticed this week, which is also about leadership, and it kind of plays into these weird cracks in the world that we're showing, the ATP, the, the tennis world, as we'll discuss in a bit, actually prepared for a pandemic. Leave that aside for now. But they've got a new a new chairman, Andrea Godenzi, and he, he was talking, it was the first time he'd spoken kind of since his appointment, and he was speaking about the fact that there are two competitions, you know, an elite men's competition and a women's competition. Because of this global, you know, pandemic crisis, those two parties are working together more closely than they ever have before and there is discussion about how that should be the new norm and I would love to see other sports around the world think about that too go right now all the stuff is off the board you can put everything back on in whatever way you want you don't have to go back to the way things were you could go back to something that is a new normal and start fresh do we think that's going to happen in other sports Will we follow tennis? What is shocking to me about that whole story is a bit of a fair weather tennis fans. Like I only really uh, follow the Grand Slams and I don't follow WTA or ATP broadly. So what was shocking to me was that they don't coordinate. I know. Um, and that this whole thing, Corona, have you heard of it? Um, <laughs> coronavirus or cor- whatever. Coronavirus <laughs> has shown up what is so dysfunctional about so many of our systems. And tennis is one of those systems. Could we maybe call it coronaviracity, <laughs> that it's now showing us the truth? The thing that I really... There are two things I That's picked out. Good. Thank you. <laughs> two things I picked out of that article. One is there's a quote in there that says, the disjointed reactions of governing bodies further reflected a broken system. And I think what's becoming really apparent is that not all sporting administrative bodies are equal. The second thing that kind of made me chuckle is kind of the chaos ball approach, especially of <laughs> French tennis. And they've, you know, basically just said, well, we're going to have the French Open here. I don't care that yep. there's all these other tournaments planned. This is what it's going to be and this is how it's going to happen. And I was thinking about this when I read another piece that I saw in The Guardian by Jeff Lemon. It was in The Guardian yesterday and we will link this in the in the show notes. This piece starts with this sentence. Whatever happens on the far side, professional sport cannot come back pretending it's all that matters now that we've seen a world without it. I read this article and it really sort of tapped into some things I've been thinking about. One of the things is I wonder whether if this is actually the great fear behind all sporting administrators right now that sure there's really big issues that they're facing in terms of money, where they're going to play, will they play again, how will they pay staff. But I actually wonder if they're the micro issues against a bigger macro question of are the fans just going to pick up where they left off? Are people just are people going to come back? And are we missing sport as much as we thought we would? Jeff goes on to say that when administrators are saying that their sports might die, what he really thinks they're saying is, will the administrations die? So it's it's a really good piece and it focuses on a few different sporting bodies. He saves his most caustic reviews for the NRL. <laughs> I don't know if you want me don't to read. All. Oh, my gosh. Shall I read this quote? Yeah. Naming it Project Apollo after an immaculate mission that landed a literal moonshot is exactly the sort of insanely inflated self-regard that powers the NRL. (laughs) So anyway, look, putting that to one side... It's part of a conversation that I think we're seeing everywhere. We've seen an article from ESPN yesterday saying, you know, when everything starts back up, especially the AFL, what's it going to look like? And it's, I think, a really interesting conversation. Rana, you tweeted something really (laughs) funny and quite... I think also quite apt about are we going to see players coming back 
overweight, unfit, reflecting God, I hope maybe so. <laughs> how the rest of us are all going to come out of our houses after this. But that's a, a really interesting thing. Are we going to see a competition start up with players who aren't as fit as they are coming off pre-seasons? What are community clubs going to look like? What's on the table now? I feel like I'd be okay with a less kind of manicured version of the game. I think the game has always been the people's, right? And I think codes really, and all the games, sport is for the people. And I think all the codes, if they come back with that at the centre of their mission, then I think they'll survive and thrive. When you tweeted that, Rana, I thought about this. There's a there's a country club in the competition which shall remain nameless with a famous full forward who shall also remain nameless. But halfway through the game, you know, third quarter or whatever, runs during play to the canteen, gets some jam donuts, brings them back onto the field, eats them while the game is afoot. Mm-hmm. It is so funny to me. I'm kind of like, that seems awesome, actually. If you're a bit peckish, mm. rather than going up for a snake <laughs> at halftime, get some jam donuts delivered to the full forward. Julia, is that, are we going to see more jam donuts on the field? Well, we should, regardless. <laughs> I hope we just see a bit more, an equal distribution of money, shall we say. Um, you know, and that article was, you know, did point to the fact that, you know, we're seeing everywhere now what's an essential service you know the 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 things that you know people who work in supermarkets nurses teachers things that we in terms of wages have never don't well not have never valued but we don't value them as much as bankers and you know footy yeah and footy players Mm. in this world now where everyone's kind of had to readjust to what do we actually value what makes our um, society run? What do we find meaningful? What can we live without? Mm. Well, we're living without footy. But, you know, the, the park next to my house is still full of people playing footy. Often lots of girls and their mums and dads. I bloody love it. Um, <laughs> so the, the sport itself, we're still, we still can play that sport. What we don't have now is the manicured version with people on hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and we're living without them. I realise that this is a football podcast, but I think that it's realigning what we actually find important. Jeff, you know, finishes his article with a lovely bit about how, you know, basically that the sport will always be there. People will always be happy to be out, you know, playing cricket or playing football or playing soccer in the park. That love, that real, true grassroots love, the thing that I guess brings us all to the elite competitions at some point, or not always at some point, but that's the thing that I guess underlies our buying into the big competitions, Mm. that stays. What I am missing is sport as part of the rhythm Mm. of my week. And for me, that's actually junior sport. Um, That's much more visceral, I guess, in terms of the rhythm of of my life. Mm. And I'm missing that much more. And I know that that will come back. Rana, you wanted to talk about, I suppose, a business case, which is something that the ATP boss talked about as well, Mm. is that the reason why the men's and women's competition should be working closely together is because it's inherently good for business, which seems Captain Obvious. What did you want to talk about? I guess, yeah, I mean, I think we all kind of can acknowledge that the women's game should be around and that we love it and it's it's kind of the right thing to do. But what we often don't talk about is that it's actually really good for business and inclusion and diversity generally are. There's so much research that tells us that McKinsey is a great place to start. But I guess I wanted to kind of mull around. Is that a phrase? Do you say mull yeah, around? I think, mm. I think you, it is now. Chew it over. <laughs> chew it over. Gonna I wanted to it. chew over with you. That doesn't sound right either. <laughs> We wanted to hot cross bun, chew a hot cross bun together. Chew a hot cross bun with you guys. 
about why is women's football good for business? And I guess for me, the obvious one is that it brings in new markets, new audiences. For a lot of the reasons that we just talked about, that it's a different type of football and that it, it has a completely different vibe. And so it's going to reach people who aren't you know, into the traditional side of things. And I guess it's captivating young people as well. And I don't really know why, actually. I can't put my finger on it, but young people are flocking to women's football? Well, we know the figures bear it out that I think the last figures that we saw showed a 14.2% spike in female participation. And so that was a big driver in the growth that we'd seen in people participating in in football generally. Female participants make up 30% of everybody playing football. What we do know from all of our discussions is how much, you know, women make up the fandom, the fan base. I don't think that you can just draw a correlation between women playing football and women fans. I think, you Mm. know, they're kind of two different groups sometimes and there's, you know, big crossover in the Venn diagram. But... As you say, Rana, with with so many, you know, businesses also understanding that in with diversity you actually reach all parts of your market. It just seems like a no-brainer. The other thing I'd say, and this goes back to your point, Julia, that you made earlier, that when we when we do start things up to have a more equitable spread, I guess financially, but I but I also think in terms of diversity, in terms of voices and people who are all playing different roles in sporting administration and codes. And then what you get is, I guess, diversity in output. It really struck me that on the weekend I watched the replay of the 1989 grand final and it was commentated by some 2020 commentators, (laughs) two of who actually played in that game. It really stood out to me just how much that was a harking back to just a a kind of, guess, a blokey take on a blokey game and I felt quite shut out from that. In contrast to the AFLW where I do feel like we do have more diverse voices and people with different experiences and different experiences I guess of how they've experienced the game, that allows me a way in. Now I'm a total rusted on football fan. I will always watch the competitions, men's and women's, elite and grassroots. But it's jarring sometimes and what I really appreciate is the times when it's not. I think with the timing of AFLW, like AFLW kind of has burst onto the scene where I feel like the professionalism, the elite nature of men's footy, the kind of Instagrammable constant talk, investigating their lives and wives and all this kind of stuff, those things have happened concurrently. And all those things, I think, for me, just make me not care about AFLM at all. They seem so inauthentic. Mm. And AFLW burst onto the scene at the same time as that. So they were so stark. And I think that AFLW merely existing asks lots of questions of AFLM. Like, why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Do these features now of AFLM where players' lives are so curated, does that make it better? Does it actually make it better? It makes the game faster. It makes the ball ping around more. But does it make it better? I don't know if it does. It doesn't make me connect with it more. Rana, you wanted to mention one more thing the head of tennis wanted to say. 
He talks about framing the women's game differently and he said women, the women's game is an asset to embrace rather than an obstacle to surmount and I think that's how we need to look at women's sport and that will shift so much of how we move forward with it. I'm Sam Mostyn and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. Well, before we catch up with a Paralympic champion, it's time to catch up with an Outer Sanctum champion. And a whole lot of you have been getting in touch with us and we absolutely love hearing from you during this odd time. So let's say g'day and find out what's been happening to Nikki. Hello, ladies of the Outer Sanctum. It's Nikki here. Things this way haven't changed all that much for me. I'm still working full-time, thankfully, as the industry I work in is considered essential services. But there is a big gaping hole in my life right now with no football. I'm heavily involved with the Darabin Falcons as a Masters player, but I'm also the coach of the under-16s team. Right now, everything's on hold, and here's hoping that we actually get to play some games this season. Social isolation for me hasn't been too difficult just yet, Um, but one of the fun projects that I did this week was a challenge that I'd thrown down to my Falcons juniors, um, which has also been thrown out to the broader Falcons family. Um, And that was just using some footy skills to get the ball into, I use the green waste bin at home. So there was straight kicking, handballing, and I called it the roundhouse kick. It was literally a kick around the corner of the house into the bin. I think it's important to remind ourselves too that during this time of social isolation that we have to be grateful for what we have and not dwell on what we don't right now because we're all in a lucky position where we can stay safe and remain healthy and keep others around us healthy if we do the right thing. My love for women's footy hasn't changed. I'm itching to play and coach and cheer on my teams. But until I can do that with my good friends and family who are healthy and safe, I'm happy to be patient and wait until we can watch it all together again. Thanks, ladies. Take care. Danny de Toro is a six-time Paralympian, having represented Australia in two sports, tennis and more recently table tennis. Alongside her silver and bronze medals, she can count 10 Australian Open titles and a French Open title. Danny, along with Riley Batt, was recently appointed co-captain of the Australian Paralympics team and by rights should be gearing up for Tokyo 2020. She's also the Health Athlete Welfare and Engagement Officer for Paralympics Australia. So we imagine with the delay of the Games until August 2021, she's still pretty busy. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum, Danny. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's such a pleasure just to be on this program. You guys are just rocking it. Oh, you're too kind. Thank you so much. Now, I'm not sure that many of us ever thought we would see a time in our lifetime when the Olympics and Paralympics would not go ahead on the planned date. Can you give us a little bit of insight into how athletes are coping with this postponement? Uh, It's so extraordinary, isn't it? And I know that that word unprecedented gets bandied around heaps, but it's right out there. And there's so many things. I think, um, first of all, massive disappointment. You know, it takes years to uh, gear up for a Paralympic event. Our team was ready to go and we've worked really hard for years. And, and that's the thing about a Paralympics. It's not just a, a year's lead up. It is multiple years, day in, day out. And not just for athletes, but also for staff and coaches and, and people at Paralympics Australia and everyone who go and work towards all of us kind of doing our best at those key benchmark events. So, 
disappointment was probably the first um, thing that everyone's really experiencing. And then there was a degree of relief because ultimately um, we got told quite late in the piece uh, that there was a postponement of the games. And up until then, we were still training and everyone was really going out about their day knowing full well that we were kind of rolling the dice every time we went into a daily training environment. And we do have some of our athletes who who are part of um, that community who need to be really careful about um, COVID-19. And, um, and so for a lot of them, I, I felt nervous and scared <laughs> on the, every single day. So there was a bit of a relief that now we can just kind of take care of ourselves and take care of our loved ones and just do the right thing and try and ride it out with the rest of the world. Danny, it's Tess here. One of the things we've been musing on that I would love to ask you about essentially is the training regime. You said how long it takes to get prepared for a big Paralympic event. Can you talk us through what difference one year makes because for a lot of people watching we just think oh we'll sit on the couch and I'll eat donuts and watch you you know do your thing in one year time what difference does that make to your regime in terms of the of timelines Uh, for every athlete it's really different and it's depending on your event um, and your sport and kind of what you're doing so a lot of those kind of marathon long distance stuff that takes years to kind of get your body into the right time frame to be able to peak at exactly that moment and that's a that's a long haul event so for a lot of us, when we're kind of competing day in, day out, or we've got tournaments throughout the year, it might be a lot more like a six to eight week kind of period that you have to readjust. But for some, that's a 12 month period of readjustment. So it throws a massive spanner in the works for so many of our athletes. And, and right now, particularly for those that have no access to any sort of daily training environment, it's a real problem. We have athletes living in apartments. We have athletes that can't access anything, have no ability to access any sort of um, daily environment and so you know like it's two days of not training you're already feeling uh, a wasting of certain stuff and particularly muscle strength and, and cardiovascular stuff so it doesn't take very long for a lot of us to kind of take 10 steps back and and who not and I guess the issue right now is who knows when we're going to be allowed back into those training environments there's a big road ahead for so many of our athletes to be able to kind of compete at their very peak and I kind of feel like these Paralympic Games for Tokyo you're not necessarily going to see records broken. It's going to be really different games. And I'm kind of intrigued to see what that's going to look like, but it's certainly going to feel pretty amazing when we all get out there. Danny, it's Rana here. I'm really feeling for a friend of mine, Tisha Shadwell, who was scheduled to play in Tokyo for the women's basketball. She was a Richmond wheelchair player um, and you know, feeling for her at the moment. And I can, obviously you've just spoken about the disappointment and frustration that athletes must be feeling how do we find gratitude or how do we how do we find some sense of okayness in this is it okay to be mad at a point at a time like this <laughs> that's such a great question and you know the basketballers particularly they've, they've had a really tough um year this year and for them this is another another real blow but i guess you kind of highlight how do we deal with stuff like this like this is this is so left field and that's what I feel really, um, I'm so proud of our community, our Paralympic athletes and, and everyone, that includes our staff and all the people that we work with on a day-to-day basis. I'm so proud of the way that everyone's gone about it because I think this team in particular understand adaption and they understand kind of taking on those challenges head on and, and life is messy, it's complicated, it has a series of things that don't go your way. Um, most of us within the Paralympic movement understand that, we've experienced that with different things that have gone on in our life and I think that's the real key is like feel what you feel, you know, and I think there's there's real room to appreciate that there's a grieving process for a lot of this. So many of us have worked so hard 
And grief is an important thing, I think, to highlight and to recognise. Um, I think the real key is how long do we stay in those uh, negative states and is that really beneficial? And for so many of us, we've kind of experienced a lot of those things that have created what you might name a setback. But when you kind of see what's in front of you, when you're able to assess it honestly and openly, when you're able to kind of make decisions about what's next, then you, your mind shifts. It's kind of like accepting what's happening. That's not about giving up or giving in. It's just about kind of seeing what's in front of you uh, and and seeing what can happen next. Like it's what you do next that really is the important thing. And I think for me, that kind of resilience piece is about can you find something that's positive about that? Can we find how this can make us better, smarter, stronger, more connected? Um, there's so many opportunities and that's what I'm seeing within our communities. Our athletes are reaching for those opportunities that this, this this situation is creating. So we've got athletes who were absolutely geared for vying for a gold medal, who the day that we got the um, the call that it was going to be postponed, checked in for some surgery. And, you know, we're always just kind of holding that line of just being super okay and potentially having the most, um, the biggest injury of our lives. And so we had athletes like utilising this time to take care of some niggling things to actually, you know, um, put some time into thinking about what they're going to do for school, for work, for, for life after sport. And, and that's what I'm seeing is, is our community thinking about what this can create in terms of opportunities, reaching out to one another, looking out for one another. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just really proud of each and every one of them. That's a lot, Danny. That's amazing. Um, it's Julia here. You've touched already on community and you've spoken in the past about how getting amongst your community supports everyone's mental health, really. And the current situation really challenges how how we stay in touch with our community, how we connect. So what changes are you making or what are you seeing? That's such a great question because that's the thing, you know, in terms of like mental health, um, the most powerful thing we can do is reach and, and connect with community. Um, and within that Paralympic community, we worked the last four years on doing that. And we do that a number of ways, like social media and the whole technology platform are incredible ways to do that. In a, in, it's different, but it teaches us how we communicate with one another and how we can kind of have meaningful interactions Um it's really challenging that. But in my day-to-day, the thing that I'm noticing heaps is actually my community, my home community. So the relationships I'm having with my partner, the, the way that our our relationship has changed and broadened and the way that we're communicating with one another is just really extraordinary. And when I look out and, and I go for a wander around the street, I'm seeing the communication with my neighbours. So we've created like a WhatsApp group within the street and we just check in on one another and it's just really lovely we've created a couple of things where people have got red and green cards in their window and if they if it's red it's that they need something or they're in trouble and it's green it's all cool everything's sweet and and so what i'm noticing is that actually we're getting to know our very um direct community our street community a whole lot better which is just really beautiful like we're putting like you know rainbows and Easter eggs and bunnies <laughs> in windows and and we go for wonders and there's chalk messages everywhere and for me that really feels like we are in this together. Even though we have this kind of physical isolation, it doesn't need to be a social isolation and and I'm really noticing that in our day-to-day. It's really awesome. Oh, we're all going to copy that. Oh, that's great. The red and green card situation is something I want to take into my street. What are you also doing at home? Have you, have you picked up any new hobbies? Like how are you trying to stay mentally 
active at home? Yeah, that's a really um, great question because both of us are still working. Um, my partner works for Beyond Blue. Um, that is just going through the roof in terms of workload there. Um, my work with Paralympics Australian Athlete Welfare and Engagement is still pretty intense as well. Um, for me, I'm, the struggle for me is actually trying to find some time to actually train um, and lots of things have happened to create an environment where I'm trying to find some sort of um, some sort of normality with that. And we're still working on that. So for me, that's really important for my mental health. That's what I'm noticing is that when I'm not training, I become really cranky and crabby and I'm not the greatest person to live with. And, and I'm really appreciating how much sport impacts my own mental health in every single day. Part of it is when we're both working from home, how are we both doing that in a really respectful way when we're both trying to jump on calls and we're both having really intense conversations and meetings with various people and stakeholders and, and just trying to be like really respectful of that. And that's a really lovely thing. And even just, you know, I'm kind of finding... We constantly share roles within the family household anyway, and by family I mean my cat. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're just kind of like we're just doing more of that without really thinking about it. It's weird, like we, I don't know, it's kind of that point where we don't need to say as much now and we're kind of on the same level in really interesting and beautiful mm. ways. But it's also really mindful about giving each other a bit of space too. And um, and so for both of us that looks different. Um you know, for me, that's trying to find some training. We both garden heaps. Um, we love being out in the garden. And for me, that is the most healing and beautiful thing I can be doing. I love pulling weeds. It's kind of my thing. Um, it is the most, it's the most gratifying thing I could possibly be doing. And just, you know, meditation is really key in our household. And we try and do that on a daily basis. Um, I haven't even had a time to even think about hobbies. Um, I literally, I feel a bit jealous when people are like, I'm really bored and I've got nothing to do. I'm like, oh, man, like, I, don't, I can't even imagine what that feels like right now. So, you know, hopefully, I don't know, maybe I'll get to, but um, there's, a bass, there's a bass guitar in my study that I'm just hanging to kind of get onto, but I even haven't had a chance to do that. Oh, I look forward to that. Absolutely. And if you do that, Danny, you need to put it on some kind of social media so we can all share in it. Otherwise, it didn't happen. No, no chance. Um, <laughs> we were talking earlier in the podcast about um, what sport looks like after this hiatus. Is there anything on your wish list? Like when, when everything starts up again, what do you think are the, the essentials, the non-negotiables for sport going forward? Gosh, that's a great question. For us, the biggest one is, is just making sure that we're all safe, like that we're all physically, mentally ready and prepared and healthy and happy. That, to me, is the biggest non-negotiable and just making sure that as a community we're looking out for one another. To me, they're pretty basic things and, and that's what we kind of foster within our community. I think that's a really interesting one in terms of globally. Um, that kind of lack of honesty in the get-go I felt was pretty strange. Like I felt like as athletes we were kind of strung along. We could see the writing on the wall, but um, from the high up, those, those messages weren't probably clear enough and I think that that put a lot of um, athletes in in unnecessary potentially harmed way and I think that is not okay I think we can't just kind of think athletes are just going to go along for the ride and that just board is the biggest thing for them so they'll keep doing it it's like appreciating that the athlete welfare is is really important um, as is the welfare of, of all of those that we work with who are also putting themselves at risk every day. Um, I think that's always a non-negotiable, but I think that's what kind of came through really early in the piece. Yeah. I think these games are going to be really interesting. I think we're going to see 
that maybe the thing that isn't so important is about breaking records. It's actually about who we are as people and how we emerge from those kind of challenges. And I'm, I'm really seeing a lot of people struggle and they're struggling in really different ways. And then I'm seeing other people really thriving and getting really ingenious and creative about how they do themselves, how they be better every day. And that's not just a physical thing, that's a mental and spiritual and emotional thing. And um, I'm seeing our community really reach for that. So I'm loving those changes and I'm looking forward to seeing how that kind of plays out on a global scale when we all get together and almost celebrate what sport is and what it is in our lives, but also what it does for our entire community. I cannot wait to watch. Before we let you go, Danny, I table tennis to me is something that everybody thinks they're good at until they play against a professional and then they realise they're actually terrible at it. <laughs> if we're practising at home, just asking for a friend, what can you describe a kind of trick that will mean that I'll beat my husband every time? Is there a way in which, is there something I should be bringing out in my game that you could actually teach us over the phone? <laughs> You're so right because, you know, I played tennis and, and I know not everyone there is a big fan of tennis, but um, tennis has been my sport from the get-go and um, and I've been exactly the same thing. Like playing table tennis was always pretty much at a pub with uh, fairly drunk people um, until I picked up the racket uh, about four years ago, five years ago now with people who knew what they were doing and I was just like completely shocked. I'm like, I thought I was actually kind of okay until I hit with people who knew uh, their way around a table tennis table and um, I think that's the great thing about this sport though is that you can kind of play with anyone um, I think the trick is it's pretty basic but just getting it on the table one more time and I feel like everyone tries to hit if, if you're not a tennis a table tennis player you try and hit the ball like a tennis ball and so it's kind of what I've found really useful is imagine doing it like imagine doing the action in a really tiny box rather than this big giant space where you're having big swings, it's actually just kind of like shorter shorter movements but using your hips actually. And I think that's kind of the key is short swings, get down low, use your hips and just, you know, whack the crap out of it and just see what happens. Last week we introduced a new segment that's going to get us through in our football-adjacent podcast now, and it's called The Fifth Quarter. Now, we don't have any kind of opener made yet, but could we mock something up? Okay, it's something like this. (laughs) (laughs) The fifth, fifth, fifth quarter. Woo! (laughs) Uh, Julia, I don't know about you. I feel like I'll work on that. I that was week. pretty solid. But... I, I don't want to discourage creativity ever, but I'll make one myself. Anyway, Julia, welcome to the fifth quarter. You weren't here last week. Do you want to kick us off? What have you been watching, reading, listening? Look, we've spoken about how we have a bit more time now to actually consume this stuff. So uh, one of the things I've been listening to at the moment, and I'm shocked that it didn't come to my attention earlier, is a podcast called The Thread, um, specifically season five of The Thread. Um, I feel like it's so relevant to what we talk about on the pod or what our listeners um, talk about and if this has already been brought to our attention, I apologise. So the thread was actually released in 2019 alongside the Soccer World Cup. And what it does is it focuses on a significant moment in time and then it traces back the events that have um, led to that event and what's allowed it to happen. So the, the moment that they start with is um, the 1999 Women's World Cup where the US uh, wins in a penalty shootout and Brandy Chastain rips off her jersey and runs around and in her um, sports bra and all the, you know, her teammates jump on top of it. And then it traces back kind of what are the landmark legal decisions and protests that have occurred in America to allow that to happen, to, to allow women's sport on that scale 
to occur. So they go back to Title IX. How did that get passed? They talk about a protest um, by the women's rowing team at Yale. And it traces back all the way to 1964 with the Civil Rights Act. So it's a really incredible podcast. It's a bit e-Hollywood story in the narration, but you'll have to get over that. <laughs> Look, I've just been finding it really interesting. And, and so many, like like so many things in women's history, just the stories that you don't hear about. Mm. One thing I've been reading was a bloody awesome article from T Magazine, which is New York Times magazine. It's called The Renegades, and it takes a group of butch lesbian studs <laughs> um, and it takes a photograph of them and, and it talks about basically butch identities um, which is something that I'm very passionate about <laughs> and you know there's this beautiful picture of all these you know well-known butch women and 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 it speaks about not always easy relationship with that word butch um, Alison Bechtel's in the picture Roxane Gay's in the picture and it just talks about butch identities and I just wanted to read this quote from a So picture a butch woman in your head, maybe me. There's a prevalent assumption that we're all fat, frumpy fashion disasters. Our baseball caps and baggy pants suggest to others that we don't care about self-presentation. But it's not that we're careless. It's that unlike, say, the gay white men who have been given all credit for influencing contemporary visual culture, we're simply not out to appease the male gaze. G-A-Z-E. We disregard and reject the confines of a sexualized and commodified femininity. Look, if that doesn't get you hot under the starched Oxford <laughs> collar, I don't know what will. But look, it's just beautiful for me when I see stories like that in, in publications from the New York Times. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about is a show that's on Netflix called Feel Good. Um, it's a semi-autograph semi-autobiographical um, <laughs> show by Mae Martin, who's a Canadian comedian. It's basically a rom-com about two neurotic uh, young women who are in a relationship. It's about you know addiction, about love, about how you love one another when you don't really know how to love yourself properly. Yeah, I've been really enjoying that too. I'm going to check that out because I've heard that recommended mm. in a number of places. So Lucy Ray, think you're onto something there, Julia. <laughs> I've been watching some sports documentaries, and <laughs> surprisingly, but, oh, I don't need sport in my life. I know I don't need sport in my life. No, um, I caught up on Sunderland till I die, which has been on Netflix, which is about the football team. Um, I really loved in this documentary just that focus on a team that is the place Mm. where it resides and you really get that in the English Premier League and, you know, with some of these these teams. You get a real sense then, I guess, of what the sport and the team's success or lack thereof, without giving you any spoilers, um, means to the community. And what I did like about this documentary is that it doesn't just feature male supporters. It really does feature Mm. a lot of female supporters. For me, it kind of lacked the insights that I want in these kinds of documentaries. I I really want to, I guess, you know, we've been spoiled with so many great ones, especially in Australia, where you get a real insight into coaching ethos or culture and those sorts of things. And so that's the sort of thing I'm looking for. I found that a little bit more in the test, which is a focus on the Australian cricket team, which I think we've mentioned, I think Kate's mentioned because I know she really enjoyed it as well. It's on Amazon Prime. It's by filmmaker Adrian Brown. And I loved this. It follows the Australian men's cricket team for a period of about 18 months. So it pretty much starts around Sandpaper Gate and (laughs) takes us up from when Justin Langer takes over as coach. And it goes through until the ashes in 2019. I 
for me, the best sporting documentaries have three things. They have a really good story arc, they have interesting characters, and they have those insights. And I reckon this has all three. For Train Spotters, Lily Mithen's brother, Paddy Mithen, is an associate producer on this, and he you'll you'll see him in a little frame. So <laughs> Keep an eye out for him. There's um, a moment in this I won't give away unless you know what happens in the ashes. <laughs> no spoilers for real no spoilers. There's a really lovely bit and it's the fifth day of the test against Pakistan in Dubai and the team is aiming for a draw. They talk about how the pressure is actually all on Pakistan. There's plenty for them to play for. It kind of sums up the whole premise of this, that basically we come to the Australian cricket team at a time when no one really likes them. They're being pilloried internationally. A lot of Australian fans have kind of turned their back and are feeling really disappointed. And I feel like this documentary is like, well, what have we got to lose? And I really enjoyed it. In terms of reading, I don't want to be competitive here, but I heard Nicole Hayes say last week that she'd picked up Wolf Hall and put it down. (laughs) I have now read two of the books in the Wolf Hall trilogy. I've started the third. These are massive, massive books. And I added up the page count. There are 2,016 pages in total, which for me is like an omen because (laughs) that is the year that we started the podcast. So I feel like it is the perfect thing to be reading at the moment. There's something in it. Hilary Mantel won the Booker Prize with both Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies, the first two. So basically with the third book, she's going for the three-peat. So there's definite football kind of characteristics <laughs> in this. We haven't so. had an omen watch in so long. So, so there's one. That. Oh, got me in the feels, Lucy <laughs> Race. You did mention Nicole Hayes there. She has got in contact. She is. She's reading. Here's what Nicole Hayes is reading today. Hi, Sanctimers. Nick here. Part of my current fifth quarter experience is that I'm reading The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. Uh, it's an account of the year following the death of her husband, who's also an author, John Gregory Dunn. It is really quite an extraordinary book that goes into elaborate detail about the process of her unpacking her grief. It's almost with a forensic quality to it. There's a there's a, a bemused curiosity that she applies to that experience that she is writing as each month ticks over in the wake of her of John's passing. The, her ability to separate from the uh, emotional experience of the loss, but also to analyse what happens to her body and how it makes her feel. And powerful book. It packs an incredible punch. Um, it is really beautiful, but also challenging. So uh, I don't know if I say it's the perfect time to be reading a book like this, but I'm sucked in. Uh, happy reading, guys. Thanks, Nick. Good to hear from you. Well, I have been, as you all know, diving back into the archives and watching things that, you know, don't require any brain power whatsoever. One of the things that I was re-watching was Scrubs, which I used to love as a show. And it still, you know, vaguely holds up. It's still quite funny. One of the episodes actually is about a virus and how easily it is taken around from one person to one person. And the virus is a, is, the, is green, like you can see it on people's skin when they've got it in the episode. And I saw last week an Iranian, I think it was, uh, health ad that the government had put out and they'd done a very similar thing about coronavirus and everything was red. So everything that they touched turned red and you could see how it spread across the city and I thought oh scrubs 
did that. <laughs> Anywho, um, they had the two main you know stars of the show were Zach Braff and Donald Faison, who met doing the program and became best friends in real life. Now they have just started a podcast called Fake Doctors, Real Friends, and they are rewatching every single episode and talking about what it was like at the time and how you know how they wrote the show and all of the things. And it is really fun because. One of the things I like in pods is just when the hosts are friends. So you are like, you know, dipping in on people's lives and friendships and listening to them banter and it is really delightful. So highly recommend that. And another podcast that I always listen to, well, that's a lie. Sometimes I don't listen to them if I don't like the movie, but it's called The Rewatchables and it's a Bill Simmons podcast where they rewatch movies that they consider to be officially rewatchables. One of the ones that they talked about recently was Castaway. Now I know... (laughs) I'm always talking about Tom Hanks and I and Splash and I can't help it but because I love Tom Hanks. But Bill Simmons decided to do the Castaway pod by himself, which was really funny. And so it's just Bill Simmons for like an hour, more than an hour, talking about Tom Hanks being on an island for, you know, an hour by himself. But he talked about so many – there are so many fun facts in this pod and one of them was about how Tom Hanks is like normal at the start of the film and then he goes on the island, he's really skinny and he has a beard, that they actually stopped filming for like a really long period of time so that Tom Hanks could become super skinny and grow a beard. Robert Zemeckis filmed a whole other film in the middle of Castaway because they had all of the film crew. And it was with Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer. What's that movie, Beneath These Floors or something? What's that film? Oh, yes. What Lies Beneath? Yes. Yeah. They filmed that whole film in the middle of Castaway. Should have been called Beneath These Floors. Beneath These Laws is the horror film I'm working on at my house because I've got possums and I don't know where the hell they are. So anyway, that's it. Rana. I mean, I think we should rename this podcast Fake Footy Brains Real Friends. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I feel like you guys always come in with the great recommendations and I come in with the trashy, silly ones. But here we go. I've been listening to a podcast called Well, May We Say Pod, which is a progressive politics podcast. That's how it's described. So, I mean, if you're not progressive in your politics, you might want to steer clear of this one. Or maybe you'd like to tune in. Or, yes, exactly. You can hear the other side. Um, (laughs) It's hosted by Jeremy Sear. um, But I highly recommend the most recent episode with the guest Tom Ballard. And they just go over Corin Avaris and and George Pal. And take a critical look at what's happening at the moment at the moment politically and it's so it's good because at the moment we're just so stressed in it that it is hard to have take that step back and analyze what's going on and I I'm finding this podcast is really bringing that for me I'm also instead of so I my favorite thing of a weekend is Friday night football with pizza and just really missing that and I'm noticing my partner's really really missing that so we've started watching sports movies instead of (laughs) footy Um, and that's been great because it also gets you in the feels as well and it's just a joy so last Friday we watched um, The Mighty Ducks which (laughs) I've just been loving going back to old movies from my childhood and that is Stella, it's really, really good, and it was the gateway to my obsession with Joshua Jackson, um, which Tess and I will talk about on our Dawson's Creek podcast. Absolutely, doing a spin-off Dawson's Creek pod where we can just talk about every week is just Pacey. Watch what's Pacey yeah, doing? Yeah. yeah, I had dreams about Pacey when I was a teenager. Same. Uh, and then the other thing, so last episode you heard about my um, 
Lockdown strut. Lockdown strut. And I'm finding that this moment in time has really unleashed the silly in me. And this week we decided to have a fancy dinner at our house. So we all got dressed up. My daughter and I put makeup on. We pretended that it was um, my partner's house and that we were coming over for dinner. And we. <laughs> That's clever. Yeah, it was great. We didn't have to do any of the washing. All cleaning up. up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All cooking. Was uh, there a murder? <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be next week. <laughs> Stay tuned. But we, you know, we rang the doorbell and we came in, and my five year old said, I'm sorry, we're late. <laughs> And we sat down and had a really lovely dinner and it was so good just to do something different and break the monotony. But then I noticed about five minutes in, I was like, get these fancy clothes off me. <laughs> like my tolerance for normal clothes has just gone out the window and I, I need to be back in my pyjamas. But then we went out dancing. Um, so we went to the living room <laughs> and did a bit of dancing, which was also great. Um, so I highly recommend just lean into the silly at the moment. The other thing I'm going to really selfishly recommend is Frankie magazine. <laughs> uh, there was an article on a little bit about my love story with my partner. So if you can buy the magazine and have a read, I recommend just so you can be a bit, I don't know, pearly to my love life. <laughs> Feel a bit gooey, which is how I felt. No, it was beautiful. And I think, you know, we talked earlier on in the podcast about, you know, showing leadership in interesting ways. And I think in letting people into that little story of yours, I think you've done that. So it's a beautiful piece, Rana. Thanks, Lucy. You truly have. Our own Shelley Ware last week mentioned her show that she's doing to keep herself occupied. Her program is Where To Now, and she caught up with a Sanctum favourite who we all put in our isolation house, Darcy Vessio, and found out what she's been watching. Tell you what, I was just listening to a podcast called Creative Pep Talk by a guy named Andy, um, and he, he talks to different creatives, um, so that was good. What else do I listen to? I listen to The Guilty Feminist um, and Meg, my housemate. Um, she's always on top of television and that sort of thing, so um, she's been getting me into a few um, shows that I haven't seen yet. Um, so we watched the first season of Broadchurch the other day, which was quite yeah. good, and we just watched, oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's a um, TV show with Mae Martin on Netflix. It's a new one. It's called Free Something. I can't remember. Zero help to you. I've never watched one Netflix episode and all my friends watch Netflix. I have to do it. This weekend I'm going to watch something, binge watch something. Now you have been keeping us entertained. You've got these videos that you're sharing with us on Instagram. You started with Imagine, but then you started coming up with your own. Tell us about how this all happened. Well, I, for those who um, I'm friends with on Instagram, um, they probably know that I do enjoy making a bit of a fool out of myself and um, getting creative and just seeing what I can make. Um, but it, yeah, I guess this is an ideal situation for me, just um, everyone hanging out at home. And, you know, Meg, my housemate, um, Meg McDonald from Geelong, uh, she's has volunteered to film these things. So, yeah, I just come up with ideas actually very late at night often when I'm trying to go to sleep my mind is just thinking about things that I could do um, and then I'll wake up and be like Meg I have an idea um, <laughs> but yeah it's all just a bit silly and I guess like everyone else I'm trying to keep busy at the moment and if I can um, do something that's a bit entertaining then that's good for me. Thank you Shelley thank you Darcy great to hear from you. Lucy what did you want to raise before we head off? 
Tess, you sent me a message the other day about um, pet insurance and whether it was a good idea. And I couldn't really come up with whether I thought it was or not. But what I will say is somebody who did take out the insurance is Wimbledon. They actually had a pandemic clause in their insurance policy, which means that their estimated revenue loss of around $250 million euro from not going ahead this year is going to be offset by about 114 million euro, which they'll get back from their insurance policy. And the British Open also had that in their insurance policy. So I'm wondering what the Brits knew. I know I've watched a lot of mystery shows, but that is a mystery that I'd be keen to get to the bottom of. Very clever. Very clever. Mm. We want to hear from you. Keep getting in touch with us. We need to know what you're watching and reading so that we can continue on our fifth quarter because... Otherwise, I'm just going to watch stuff you've already seen. So I'm really going to need some inspiration from the listeners. But we can't wait to be back next week to keep catching up with you all, talking about football adjacent stuff. It's really a highlight of the week. And there's only one thing left to say. Go Go footy! footy!